Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this morning is from the Epistle Lesson of the Day, Ephesians chapter 1, these verses in particular, verses 4 through 6. For he, God, chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed upon us in the one he loves. This is our text, dear friends, in Christ. Clifford Elliott tells us about a large group of Vietnam vets who years ago gathered together in New York City to commemorate and to memorialize the lives of a number of friends that they had lost in the Vietnam conflict in the battle. Many of them, having returned from that conflict, had not been able to resolve in their own minds many of the horrific things that they had seen. And then when they returned home and they received the negative welcome that they did, they had even more problems with that, and so they had gathered together to deal also with these things. And to deal with those, they had invited a Vietnamese refugee to their meeting to address them in order that they might be able to deal with some of these residual effects of the war and the conflict. And this is a story that this refugee told that was quite fitting. During the war, a young Vietnamese woman was killed. She left behind her husband and a young son. And the husband, needing to provide for himself and for the little boy, he said, traveled far and wide looking for all sorts of odd jobs, and often he'd leave the child with the neighbors. And then after one long trip looking for work, the man returned to find the village demolished. The home in which he had left his son with neighbors was there demolished. And immediately he began searching through the rubble, hoping that he wouldn't find what indeed he did find, namely a number of small little bones that were there. Convinced that these were the bones of his son, he wrapped them in cloth, he carried them with him, with him wherever he went from that time forth. Many years passed, and then one night the old man heard knocking on his door. Who's out there, he cried. And the reply came, it's your son. It's your son, let me in, father, I've spent years trying to find you. And the old man yelled back, you're a fake. And you're a cruel man. My son is dead. I have his bones right here in bed with me. Go away. Leave me alone. And he refused to open the door. The knocking continued for a while. The pleading of the son continued for a while. And then finally it stopped. The young man gave up and he left. And the old man grieved for the rest of his life. And all because he was insistent on holding on to those old bones of the past from which his living son could have set him free. There's a lesson in that for us all, dear friends, because this is the first of the new year. A great day for letting go of those old bones of the past, those old bones from which Christ has set us free, those old bones that would hold us back and hold us down and make our lives as miserable as indeed that man's life must have been because he insisted on holding on to old bones as well. And there are many old bones of the past to which we would 
also hold wrongly that we shouldn't hold to, and they're as varied as the bones of our body, but let me name just a few of them that cause us and others the most grief because we insist on keeping them so close to us from day to day as we move throughout time on this earth. There is, for example, the, the bone of resentment and how many people weary their lives and burden their lives and trouble the lives of others because of the bone of resentment and old resentments that they carry along with them. Perhaps someone here today has that bone of resentment over something that was done to them previously, a spouse or a friend or an acquaintance did something or said something, perhaps during this past year or perhaps even years ago, that still hurt you. It cut you to the quick when it was said or when it was done and it still hurts today as you think about it and perhaps they never apologized for what they did and the resentment set in and the wound still festers or perhaps they did indeed apologize for what they did and beg your forgiveness for what they did but you felt that the wound inflicted was too deep for mere words to be able to heal so you still carry those old bones of resentment around with you. It's sin. It's nothing short of that to do that, to let that dominate our lives. Today's the day to set those old bones aside and behind. It's the day to lay them at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we're told in the epistle lesson for today that we would do, as we're reminded in the hymn that we just sang that we should do, is lay them at the feet of Christ, who alone can deal with our sins of the past, with those old bones that otherwise would, would wear us down, to take our sins and to put them there at the foot of the incarnate Son of God, who came that he might shed his blood, be the sacrifice for our sins, to bury those old bones and those old sins forever. If the new year is truly to be new, if it's truly to be a new year for you, then lay those old bones of those old sinful resentments where alone they need to be laid, and that's at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can do with them what needs to be done. And there are so many other old bones, not just the old bones of resentment that people carry around with them far too long, but there's also the, the old bone of bitterness and suspicion that we might carry toward others that breeds mistrust in us then, which in turn leads to accusations and fault-finding, whether it's in marriages or in relationships of friends and family members or others, or even within the church festering there all the time, doing its work to divide us, ultimately to conquer fractures that fraternal spirit that should exist between the children of God. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger, Scripture says, and that talk that injures the reputations of others be put away from you, along with every desire to hurt others. Rather be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's what our Lord would have us do. Put that old bone of bitterness and anger and resentment behind and move on. But you know, of all the old bones, and you could speak of many because there are indeed so many that we could address, of all the old bones that we carry around with us in the course of, of a year, few are more destructive than the old bones of guilt. Guilt over past sins that have been forgiven. That happens with people too. Some of the sins committed that have been forgiven of such a public nature perhaps that whenever we're around other people we're so, we feel so small because we're so convinced that all they can see as they look at us is that public sin that we committed in the past 
And that's all they see when they see us. Not really believing that that sin is forgiven. Some of those sins perhaps being of a private nature. We fear others finding out about them and we foolishly think that surely God who knows all is so displeased with us that we're better off keeping at a distance from God than letting him draw too close to us. What foolishness, residual guilt will do within people, even in the people of God, as they let it be that dominant character in their lives and within them. It reminds me of the famous country singer who lived so long with guilt that that guilt nearly destroyed him over sins that he had committed. He recalls that even in his boyhood days, guilt troubled him. He grew up in a church of a different theological persuasion than ours. It rightly spoke of sin and spoke of sin often, condemned sin, rightly so. But so often it said the remedy to sin was what you would do about it rather than what Christ Jesus has already done about it. So consequently, he lived in this guilt trying to figure out what can I do about the sin that I've committed. I know it's sin, but what can I do? Because that's what he was being taught to do. What do I have to do to get over it? He says, I was one of those kids who kept on then going down front whenever the preacher called for convents at the end of each, or converts at the end of each sermon. I'd see somebody next to me start to the front, and well, then I'd go down again. I joined the church at least 30 times when I was a kid, he said. Every time I'd do something bad, I'd go, quote, join the church again. Each time I went to the front and rededicated my life, I wanted to leave my sins and walk away clean, but I felt that I shouldn't get off so easily. Residual guilt, wrongly thinking that you can do something about the sins that you commit, rather than simply laying those sins at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ who alone has done something already about the sins, all of them, that we've committed. Guilt is like that, though. It's like old bones that we would carry around with us. We can be forgiven by God. We can be assured of that forgiveness by God, repeatedly declared to us by God's messengers in God's church, and still we question whether or not we've been forgiven because we don't trust that objective word of God that's spoken to us and we look for the subjective feelings inside us instead. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, St. Paul says. No condemnation for you. None. No matter what your sin has been in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Are you in Christ? Don't look inside of yourself for the answer to that question. You'll be deceived if you do. You look outside of yourself. You look at the objective word of God. And that word of God says this, as it does in our text for today. He, God, chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. He's made that decision objectively outside of you and even before you. In love, Paul says, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of his holy will. And elsewhere, Paul writes, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Are you in Christ? Indeed you are. You are because God has made it to be so. You are because God has said it is so. Begin this new year by celebrating then your identity as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
and it'll make an amazing difference at how you confront the different challenges and obstacles that will undoubtedly come before you in the year yet to come. You have been chosen by God, and you approach each situation in life with that confidence that you are his and he is yours. You've been cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and so that you can confidently approach the future in Christ. Don't go cowering. Don't go limping and retreating into some conventicle or in, onto some mountaintop where you can be away from the problems of the world in which you would. Don't, don't find a dugout for yourself someplace that you might hide in, keeping out of the the game and out of the gridiron of life. And indeed, God has placed us on that gridiron for a purpose. To be sure, when we're out on that gridiron of life in which he's placed us, we get bumped around, we get bruised a bit, we get flattened a number of times. But we're always God's bumped around people and God's flattened people, and he's the same one who will raise us up again in Christ, enabled by his Holy Spirit to get up off our bellies and off our backs to do what he's called us to do as we push forward into the future, forgetting those things that lie behind us and pressing on to that high calling that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what St. Paul says? This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to that which lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many of us will be watching the NFL, NFL playoff games in the days to come. Super Bowl Sunday isn't too far off. Some of you who are old enough will remember one of the great quarterbacks of the past, Fran Tarkenton, Minnesota Viking, by the way. One of the most successful quarterbacks in the NFL, Hall of Famer. What you probably don't know, though, about scrambling Fran Tarkenton, as he was called, because he would scramble all over the place when he'd get the ball, was known for that. Perhaps what you don't know about him is how Tarkenton first moved from being a third-string quarterback at the University of Georgia team to starting quarterback in the Minnesota Vikings. The University of Georgia was playing the University of Texas, and Tarkenton, being the third-string quarterback, had very little chance to see any action at all in the game. Frankly, no one predicted that he'd even get off the bench for the game, third-string quarterback that he was, and in that particular game, Georgia was having a difficult time moving the ball down the field. In fact, it was late in the third quarter. They hadn't had a single first down. And now they were backed up near their, their own end zone. It was third down. Suddenly, the young third-string quarterback started out onto the field. No one told him to go into the game, but no one tried to stop him either. The first-string quarterback saw Tarkenton come on the field, assumed that the coach had decided to replace him, and so he obediently trotted off the field and Tarkenton took charge and he led the team down the field for a touchdown and of course from that point on the rest is history for Tarkenton. He was then and there started on one of the most remarkable careers that the sports world and football had seen. Can you imagine a player having the gall, the nerve to step out on the field under losing circumstances like that? That's confidence to be sure. Confidence based on a sense of identity that he had, what he could do, but also a sense of destiny that he felt for himself. Confidence that wasn't going to 
let the old bones of whatever past failures he had had hold him back from doing what he really believed that he could do. But you know the difference between Tarkenton as a football player and you and me as Christians is that he had a mere subjective internal sense of destiny. He had an inner feeling that compelled him to bravely or foolishly do what he did. He acted on a hunch and for him he was fortunate that the hunch turned out to be alright. Could have gone the other way just as easily. We don't base our faith like Tarkenton did. We don't base our faith upon hunches. We don't base our faith and our actions for the future upon subjective hunches of what might be. Our confidence for the future is not based on some inner subjective feeling, something within us. It's anchored squarely on the objective word of God that we read, that sits right here before us, that's outside of us and tells us who we are, that we have indeed, as we heard in today's text, been chosen by God, that we've been predestined by God, that we've been adopted by God to be his sons and his daughters through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God's grace, and that alone, has made us what we are. As St. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what it is, and his grace is not going to fail to see us through this life unto life eternal, where we'll receive all that he has called us to receive, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, as St. Paul tells us. In Christ, and in Christ crucified is our identity, in Christ and in Christ crucified is our destiny. And that's all we really need to know as we enter into this new year. That's a confidence that approaches this new year in grace. It's time to leave those old bones of our past sins and our guilt behind us so they won't prevent us from seeing every day in this new year as a day indeed that is to be lived to God's glory. It's time to move into this new year knowing that nothing in it, as God promises us in scripture, nothing in it can separate us from the love of God, from being the sons and the daughters of the Father that we are, because he has chosen us, he's predestined us, he has saved us to be his own. 2009 holds nothing more, nothing less for you, than God will allow to come into it. That is our confidence. That is our certainty. Because of him, because of Christ who has loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.